Welcome to Sausage on a Fork, a podcast dedicated to the UK's longest-running children's drama programme, Strange Hill. My name's Neil, and in each episode, I'll interview a former cast member about their life before, during, and after their time on the programme. Welcome to the very first episode of Sausage on a Fork, and I'm very delighted to say that our guest uh, for this episode is none other than uh, Ricky Simmons, who played Aunt Jones. Ricky, welcome to Sausage on a Fork. Thank you very much for having me. It's it really. I'm genuinely excited to be the first of this because I'm sure this one, this podcast, is going to run and run. You're going to have so many people on it, so it's a particular thrill and an honour. Thank you for inviting me on as the first guest. I love brilliant, it. brilliant, and hopefully it will run and run. Yeah. So, uh, Ricky, let's uh, let's jump straight in. Um, let's let's go back to your time um, before uh, you were on the on the show. Um, how how did you get into acting? What, what how did that all come about? Well, I wasn't I wasn't like the typical thing that you get with a lot of Grange Hill actors at a stage school. Um, I wasn't in that kind of system. I was at a normal comprehensive school. Um, I was into music and into acting, and when I was about I think about 15, I found this woman called Stella Greenfield who had what was called the Stella Greenfield School of Speech and Drama, which sounds like a really grand institution, but it was a spare room in her house in Stanmore. Right. And she used to kind of um, get, you know, all kind of, you know, young teenage kind of actors um, up doing these kind of speech and drama classes. And uh, the good thing about her as well was she also had an agency. So, so from about 15 to about 16, I went on tons of auditions, loads of auditions, uh, got nowhere, um, as most actors, you know, have that same experience. And then the way I got my first job in acting was um, for a film called Pop Pirates, which was a children's film foundation right, movie. Yeah. And it was, it, it was fortunate because they needed someone who could act and who is also going to be like a suitably kind of convincing as someone fronting a band. And because I was into music, um, I could kind of tick that those boxes. And that helped me get the equity card. Because with the equity card in the old days, the, the Actors Union, there always used to be this catch-22 situation where you couldn't do any work, professional work, without your union card. And you right, couldn't get yeah. the union card without doing the work. So yeah. it was really hard. You know, a lot of people kind of do cabaret shows and things to clock up the points they needed but I was able to have this film company write to equity and say can we have a special dispensation because uh yeah there's no one else that can do this, this part which is absolute bollocks anyone could have done it <laughs> <laughs> but I, I took it and um I got the part so that was really exciting to kind of you know as my first kind of professional job to have, yeah. have a lead in this film so that was great um then in terms of other acting uh, leading up to when I got into Grange Hill, I was in um, a couple of theatre shows. I did this, there was a famous film called On Golden Pond with Jane Fonda and Henry Fonda. And there was a stage adaptation of it. And I played the grandson in that, in the Thorndike Theatre in Leatherhead. Straight after that, I got a job understudying in, if you remember Adrian Mole, do you remember yeah. the Secret Diary of Adrian Mole? Yeah. So they yeah. did a they did a musical version of that in the West right. End, and I got the job of understudying the part of Adrian Mole uh-huh. um, straight after this other play. 
And I, I just, I managed to get on a run because I did that play, then I did the understudy. And then the next thing I did after Adrian Mole was effectively Grange Hill because I left the uh, Adrian Mole musical to right. start Grange Hill. All right. And just, just going back to those those other shows and and, uh, and Pop Pirates. Pop Pirates, I think, is one of those films that uh, everyone seems to remember. And I think they seem to remember because Aunt Jones was in it. Um, right. yeah, <laughs> one, yeah. of the, one of those things. Um, was there anyone in those in those programs that you got to work with, or like you know, sort of any any sort of big names or anything like that that you got well, to work with? What was it? Yeah, what was exciting to me about that? I only worked with him for I think one day of the shoot, but they had Roger Daltrey from the Who in right. Pop Pirates, which at the time, yeah, listen, he's still you know been in yeah. one of the biggest bands Britain's ever known, but you know at the time doing my first film, and I'm gonna be in. Tell you a quick funny story. I know this is going off the subject a little bit, but I remember with my the group of friends I was with when I got the part, and it was like, oh my god, I've got this film part, and it's with Roger Daltrey, you know. And like, and I remember some of my friends at the time, um, like, oh my god, Roger Daltrey, that's amazing. Go forward about fifteen or twenty years, um, and one of the, the friends, yeah, that I was with, she was adopted, never knew her real parents. About 20 years later, I suddenly opened the news of the world one day and this kind of centre spread is like Roger Daltrey, the daughter I never knew I had. And it was this friend of mine. And the no weird way. thing was this friend who would have been going, oh, my God, Roger Daltrey. And it turns out that she didn't know until wow. 10 or 15 years later that that was really her father. Wow, that's amazing. You know, from, a, you know, a relationship that yeah. happened with her mother, who was a, an actress at the time. So it was it was really... Yeah, that that was a weird thing that happened later, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it made me always think of this girl Helen when I think of uh, you know Roger yeah. Daltrey in Pop Virus. Right. So yeah, so he he was a massive star, and um, and there were other, there were two or three other kind of big stars in it. There was an actor called John Finch. I I had a favourite film in the early eighties called Breaking Glass with Hazel O'Connor, um, and he played a record producer in that. So again, you know, as a kind of sixteen-year-old getting this part, and then seeing John Finch, who was in one of my favourite films. Yeah. That was pretty exciting as well. You that know? must have been. That so, must have yeah, been. it was like, a, it was pretty exciting. And also we went to film, it was based around Brighton Pier. So uh -huh. again, it was one of those where it was like, the first thing I'm doing is going somewhere on location and staying there for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Which, you know, it, it doesn't sound like, a you know, it's not like going to the south of France, but Again, it's like going, you know, yeah, like for going on the road with the For circus. a 15 year old and it's your first job and, and everything, it's exactly. going to be amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's going exactly. To be... So that, that was really exciting. Yeah. So, so how did, and, how, how did Grange Hill come about then? So that came about. So I was doing this musical, Understudying, and in the stage, which for anyone who's not aware of it, the stage is like a trade weekly newspaper for yeah. actors in Britain. Um, and they often have adverts for casting calls, etc. So they, there was this advert which said, Grange Hill looking for um, a northern boy for a major new role in Grange Hill. And because I was doing Adrian Mole, which was kind of a Midlands accent, and I'd just done this other thing, which was an American accent, I was quite confident doing uh -huh. accents. Um, so I phoned up my agent. I said, can you set up an audition for this? I told her about the advert. And she was like a bit sniffy. She was like, do you, do you really want to do Grain Shell? And I said, everyone wow. wants to do Grain wow. Shell. What's yeah. the matter with you? <laughs> yes, I wanted to. 
And so she said, all right, I'll set up. And so she set up the audition and she kind of got in touch with it. It's set up. And just to let you know, the, this character they're looking for is the character's going to be from Liverpool. So you'll have to do, you know, the accent. So great. Okay. And then, so it got set up and I was quite confident doing the accent. If I have to do it in a minute, not so confident doing it with you now <laughs> <laughs> because of where you come from. But I'm sure, um, I'm sure you'll be fine. But, <laughs> yeah. But what I did was I kind of, I really thought about the fact that when you do accents, I think I'd done a couple of auditions where I had to put on an accent and I, I'd worked out that if you do an accent that's not your own at an audition and you've got a director sitting there, uh-huh. I kind of figured that a director is always listening to how good the accent is, when the accent drops, and maybe they even forget about looking at what the acting ability is like. So I decided that I'd go to the audition and just pretend I was from Liverpool. Um, right. <laughs> instead of like suddenly right and here's my Liverpool accent so I did that and I did it right from the word go when I went to the Elstree BBC studios right from the moment I went up to the security guard at the gate right okay and again excuse the accent now but I promise you, it was good <laughs> at the time. you know I don't do much acting anymore so you know so I kind of went Again, by the way, I really can't wait to hear this. I've got, I've got to oh, say that. Like, so <laughs> I built it up bad level. Anyway, it was I promised it was good, but I kind of went up to the security guards there. All right, is this where the Greens are? Auditions are Ricky Simmons for the Greens. So it's that kind of thing. And then I went in, kept the accent for the reception, and just just stayed in this accent. And I went in. They gave me a two-page thing, which was the part of Ziggy. Went in and read. And I kind of felt like, you know, sometimes you know when you feel like, yeah. okay, I've done that quite well. So I felt pretty good. And they, they said to me, it was the producer and director, and they said, you know, that was re- going to be really honest with you. That was great. But it's such a shame because, you know, this role, you just look a couple of years too old for it. But that's a re- that was a really good reading, though. Yeah. You know, have you done anything else? <laughs> and, I, and still staying in the accent now, I was like... Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm in Adrian Mole at the moment in the West End. And uh, and last year I did a film where I played the Cockney guitarist with Roger Daltrey. And then they interrupted me and they said, what, you can do a Cockney accent? And I said, oh, yeah, that's no problem. <laughs> and, they went, <laughs> and they went, oh, actually, there's this other part. Would you mind reading, like, doing, like, a London accent then? For the... I said, yeah, no sweat. All right. <sighs> uh, and then they gave me this couple of pages with and went outside the room looked at it, came back in, and they said, okay, whenever you're ready. And I said, all right, all right. And then I went, leave it out, Georgina, Bronson's on my back, whatever it was. <laughs> and and I could see, like, out of the corner of my eye, them looking, going, fucking hell, he's, he's got a good London accent. <laughs> um, and then came to the end of that, and they said, that was really, that was a very good London accent. <laughs> I said, thanks a lot. And um, they said, all right, thanks very much. And then I left. I thought, okay, I got away with that, I think. Then I got the recall, um, which was the thing that scared the life out of me because it was going to be in front of Phil Redmond. And for anyone who kind of knows the programme will know well that Phil Redmond's not just the creator, but he's from Liverpool. Yeah. So I was really nervous going back. Uh, And I had this thing um, where a friend of mine from school, a girl called Deborah Feather, her mum and dad came from Liverpool. And I was speaking to her on the phone the night before saying, oh, God, I'm really, this is really going to be stressful. God, I mean, she said, don't worry about it. If, she said, if Bill Redman asks where you come from, say Allerton, it's the posh part. Uh, she didn't say say it's the posh part, just say Allerton. 
And I said, all right, okay. And then the next day went in, did all the kind of audition, everything. And they, they, before I'd actually auditioned, they said, you know, Ricky, this is Phil, Phil Ricky. And he kind of looked me in the eye. And the only thing he asked me, he said, where are you from in Liverpool? And I said, Alison. And he went, oh. <laughs> and it was like, if I wouldn't have heard that from her the night before, I would have not had a clue of any places yeah. in Liverpool. You know, yeah. and I think to this day, I feel like if she wouldn't have said that, I wouldn't have got the part because I would have stumbled. I would have looked like an idiot who doesn't know where he lives. <laughs> and and even if I thought I'd got away with that, I'd be, it'd be on my mind and I'd probably have done a crap reading. So yeah, so I kind of got away with that, got the job. But then I had, just to finish up on this, because I know it's a bit of a long, boring story. <laughs> then I had this two month period where I think it started in April. You always did April for eight months through to the end of the year for filming each series. Right. And I, I got the job in late February. So I had about six weeks till I started. And I had this stressful six weeks thinking, you know, what, what do I do? Do I, for eight months, do I literally go in every day and say, all right, everyone, all right. <laughs> leave it out, Georgina. Bye, everyone. You know, I'd go mad. I was like, yeah, living two lives. It would just be really weird. So in the end, I decided, like, I'm just going to front it out and just turn up in my own accent, <laughs> say nothing about it. And it was never meant, it was only mentioned once, about three months later, the producer was having lunch with me and a couple of others at one point. Something came up about accents and he kind of just slightly said, yeah, that was when Ricky turned up in his Liverpool accent. <laughs> Do you remember? And it was like, oh, it's, it's I that... forgot about that. Is, is that, just just, just uh, as an aside to that, is that why they made Aunt Jones a Liverpool supporter? Oh, <laughs> that's a, I'll tell you something, that's a great question. I've got no idea. If you have someone from behind the scenes on one of these interviews, ask them that, because I'd love to know that. That's a good point. <laughs> that, 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 yeah, because well of that be. first thing where yeah. the bags get <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's interesting. That might be the case. So, yeah. so, so, okay, so, so, so you got the part then, um, you know, You've obviously hoodwinked a lot of people into getting into getting the part. Let's be honest. Uh, what was it like? Because when you joined, because obviously you, you and, and Jones joined, and and he, he was already like supposed to be an established member of the school, wasn't he? It wasn't like yeah, it wasn't like you came in and it was the, you were joining a new cohort. It was you were already yeah, it was there. Like a, yeah. yeah, it was like a weird year year group, like in between let's call it Gonch's year group and Zamo's year group. Yeah. Um, right in the middle, like the age between those two. That, yeah, that supposedly, as opposed to the, what they usually do, you, they get 11-year-olds yeah. or actors playing 11-year-olds who start in the first year of school uh -huh. and go up. But, yeah, it was kind of like, okay, these, I think it was either the third or fourth year, our year group. Right. And, the yeah, it was, it was basically coming across as they've been in the school for three years. Uh -huh. But... You know, we just haven't kind of focused yeah. on them. So, so yeah, it was like a bit of a weird one, um, a rogue group, if you like. Um, and it was, yeah, it was kind of good because um, it was it was hard. A friend of mine, Simon Vaughan, who played Freddie, uh -huh. he came in the next year and he had a similar thing where the character he played will have been there for years, but I've yeah. never seen it. But he was the only one that joined the next year, so it was really nerve-wracking right. for him. Right, yeah. And it was, nerve it was very nerve-wracking for me as well. I won't say it wasn't but the difference was there was about five or six of us including yeah. Jonathan who played Danny Kendall uh -huh. um, Fiona and Sarah etc you know so there was a group of us who were new so we kind of had you know each other to kind of rely on yeah. when we we're a bit terrified because 
on your first day you go in, it's like 30 kids are the most famous children in Britain. And it's like, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> it's, it's a really surreal day, that first day. when you. Get so did you, did you sort of like, did you, did you fit in really well? Or was it, did, you know, you're just thinking, oh, this is great, Jill, I'm going to. And as you say, you've got, you know, really famous kids there. How did they all treat, how did everyone uh, treat you when you sort of... Uh... Blanked me for months, no one <laughs> talked to me. <laughs> no, th- listen, they were lovely, but funny enough, the first... The first hour or so, which it felt like it was, um, you know, I was there for a day. The first hour when you kind of not spoken to anyone yet. Because remember, also, you know, all the ones who have been there for years, they're seeing their mates who they haven't seen for three months yeah. since they last finished filming. So they're all catching up like, oh, you know, and you're kind of like on the kind of outskirts. And I was kind of sitting on my own because I didn't know also where, where you had people like Fiona and Tara. Um, playing Laura and Julia. They were at stage school together. So I was kind of on my own a little bit. I didn't really know anyone at all. And I did feel it was quite an intimidating experience. But the first person that came over and sat down with me and started chatting to me was um, Erkin, who played Roland. And I really, I always appreciate it, you know, because he was always, and he's like that, he's such a nice guy. But, you know, spotting that someone needs to be made to feel welcome. Yeah, no, that's that. That's good to have someone like that, isn't it? In the, yeah, uh, exactly. So, so, so he kind of made it a little bit easier, and then yeah, and then after that, once you start getting to know everyone, genuinely, all all really good people, apart from one or two that I won't mention. <laughs> well, you, you, can, you can tell me that when we stop the recording. That's not, not exactly. a problem there. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. who did you um, who did you enjoy working with on the show? I mean, I'm obviously, you know, you, you you're saying there you, you got loads of good friends, but there must have been. People like you just thought, yes, I've got a scene with them today or whatever, and you know, yeah. you know, you you know, you know, you're going to bounce off off people. Yeah, like from, from from yeah, from a kind of like a good solid storyline point of view, I loved it when I was doing scenes with Michael Sheard who played Bronson. Yeah, because they were like really dramatic scenes, and you know, it, even though I was just happy to be in this show, uh-huh. I was still really, I was really into acting and the craft and the process, and I. And working with people like that, who kind of, you just learn so much from them, which yeah. was great. So I really look forward to doing that. But on a kind of more of a, you know, a kind of fun, if you like, enjoyable level, okay. people like George, George, who played Ziggy. Yeah. I loved, I loved it and hated it when I got seen with him <laughs> because he just used to crack me up. You know, I'd still say to this day, he's probably one of the five funniest people I've ever met in my right. life. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, He's at number five, by the way. I don't want to get bigger. <laughs> what, what it doesn't I, get much higher. What I've what I've heard and, and, and seen and, and read about him is that um, he was really professional in that he would learn, he would learn all his lines, he would rehearse perfectly, but when it came to filming, he would he was completely different and he'd go off on tangents and he would just improvise and is is yeah, is yeah, that like... yeah, that's definitely <laughs> the case. And also and you know, things like that. So that can be a negative because when you when you do improvise, yeah, you know, I think when you're dealing with, uh, if you like, an adult cast, where you're not dealing with kids who are a little bit more inexperienced than you know an adult uh-huh. actor. So when you improvise on a normal film set, it's always like a really positive because you're getting alternative things and it can go off in different directions. But the problem was because he was so good at doing that, yeah. But but sometimes, you know, with the other actors who might be a couple of years younger than him and not that kind of yeah. uh, on the ball to kind of react to a totally new line, 
they just laugh because they they'd come up with funny stuff, you know, and uh, it, and so he got this reputation as well as kind of coming out with these blindingly funny lines, some of which kind of stayed in, which they were happy to keep in, <laughs> but would just make you laugh. But he, he, he cracked me up with, I had the one scene where I just felt really unprofessional because I was just, I think it was something like about 15 or 16 takes they did. Wow. Yeah, it was just me and him and like he'd done his bit and they had the, you know, the camera on him. And then they turned the camera around to do my close up and he's standing behind the camera. And it was just something really benign, like he had to say one word to me, but he'd say the word and he'd do this little smile and with his eyes, he absolutely cracked me up. It was, it was like I was with Tommy Cooper, do you know what I mean? You <laughs> yeah. just look at the face and you're in terrible trouble. And I remember the, the director, a woman called Margie Barber, just having a terrible go at the two of us. And I, I was always an adult actor playing a child because I started when I was 17 in Grandchild. So even though I was playing like a 14 year old, I was always kind of in that no man's land between the adult teacher actors and the others. Cause I didn't have to do what they did. Yeah. Go through the, all the tuition and stuff. So I kind of never really felt like a kid, but I really felt, I felt like a naughty 11 year old that day. Cause it was like, you've got to get it together. We're running out of time. And I just kept pissing myself laughing. So he was he was dangerous for that, but especially he was such when, a funny, funny boy. Especially when, as well, um, the scenes that you tended to have with him were, were quite serious as well. You know, uh, um, some of the things, after, yeah. you know, when when you were at St. Joseph's and there'd been the football match and you'd injured him and all that, and I, I can imagine that you're trying to film a serious scene. and yeah. no We were supposed to like. have beef with each other, as <laughs> yeah. children would say these days. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, that's true. I, I'd forgotten about that. That's a good point because, it, you know, the, when we're kind of at each other as characters, there's no room for smiling and having yeah. a laugh. Where if it was a bit of a knockabout scene between yeah. two mates getting on, you might get away with a little giggle within the script. But you're completely right. That's why, <laughs> you know, I couldn't even I couldn't even have a half smile because no. I'm supposed to be in a mood with him. It's, so yeah, he was. He was wonderful to work with, but a bit of a nightmare. Um, other people to work with, I mean, I don't remember specifics much, but I did love kind of, I loved it when we did um, those kind of sequences, like a fun run or a cricket match where uh -huh. you have the whole cast there for the whole day. Because, yeah. you know, one of the things about doing Grange Hill is you kind of, you know, on a normal day, you might have two scenes, three scenes, at the most four scenes. And it might be one scene with a teacher in a corridor, another scene with another teacher coming out of a classroom, one scene with a couple of um, pupils. Yeah. But then you wouldn't see any of the other cast, you know, that right. whole day. Yeah. Sometimes we So when it was like these big set piece kind of sequences, fun runs, cricket matches or parties, whatever they were, that was great fun because you'd just be hanging out with everyone for the whole day. Uh -huh. And it was just a good laugh. A good good place to kind of terrorise everyone. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you've touched on this already as well, but who were you sort of closest to on, on, on the set? Who, who was like your, your best friends, if you like? While you um, were okay, so I would say um, closest to, I mean, probably the ones that I've kind of remained friendly with for the longest time. So right. there's a kind of small group who I've, you know, there's, there's others that I'm in and out of touch with, but the, it's definitely Irkin. Uh -huh. I, I, and I've always remained very close to him, George, who played uh -huh. Ziggy. When Simon joined, who played Freddie Mannering, um, 
we became really close and we still are to this day. Right. I was his best man at his wedding. Oh, wow. Right. Absolutely slated him, as you kind of expect. <laughs> well, yeah, also, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, and then I did mention them before, but Fiona and Sara played Laura and Julia. Uh-huh. Again, really close with them. I, I managed to buy a flat at a young age because of, you know, doing stuff like Grange yeah. Hill, which I was really fortunate with. And Simon became my lodger. Right. And a lot of the time we, you know, Sara and Fiona were always kind of hanging around with us when we kind of moved into that flat. So, you know, that's great. And people like Lisa York, who played Julie, um, uh-huh. I always got on really well with her, remained close with her. I'm probably leaving out other people only because I'm very old and have memory problems. But, you know, there were probably many more, but they're the kind of, you know, handful or yeah. so who, who I've, probably you know just in terms of over the years who I've remained close with who were and it yeah. comes from that you know getting on really well with them at the time yeah and what was it so what was it like having Simon as a lodger then challenging <laughs> although very good cook I've really always, I've been very bad honestly you know fried breakfast good lunches dinner you know he always yeah. cooked really well you know and was that when, where he got that from was that when so, you were on the show or or, or when you'd finished it was because I did two years. It was probably it probably started halfway through the second year. Right. So a lot of the time where he was the lodger, I'd already left and he was still kind of doing another year or two. So uh-huh. it was like a crossover period. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, and when you were on the, on the show, what were your sort of, you know, did you have any like favourite episodes or storylines or anything that you were involved with? Because you, as you just said there, you, you were there two years, but... You crammed a lot into those two years. I, I think Aunt Jones was was really sort of um, significant in 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 those two years. It was quite a quite a strong character um, in yeah, those two years. I, so. I was I was lucky to have really good storylines because sometimes uh-huh. you know you can be unlucky and it's like you just get scenes where it's like you're hiding the donkey from the kids, <laughs> <laughs> which has got its own value. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, there's an artistic kind of, you know, yeah. Uh, sentiment <laughs> there. Uh, but yeah, so no, it was kind you know, I, I was definitely lucky to get a part where it wasn't a very kind of funny part, you know, no. there wasn't much no. um, comedy with him, but it was very, you know, he was like a tortured kid from, uh you know the paranoia of bullying but which became bullying by a teacher yeah um whether whether he's reacting too much to it who knows but um so that you know and a girlfriend at school where there's complications there because at one point i mean i'm just in my kind of fading memory of it i think he's kind of accused of you know being a little bit too affectionate on the school grounds when Uh he's only kind of consoling his girlfriend so there's all that kind of stuff going on um and you've got the other stuff I, when i first started watching that i loved um uh bullet baxter i thought he was a great character that that teacher so again that i was really pleased that i had loads of scenes with him because yeah and jones had this thing where he was like a bit of the kind of school sports hero which yeah. couldn't have been further <laughs> from my own life so, for right. example, when I was when there was a swimming gala scene, I know you asked favourite ones, but I've got a few that were definitely not my favourite. This oh. wasn't my favourite. Oh, that's that's fine. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> the swimming. There was a swimming gala scene where I kind of Aunt Jones has to kind of just win, yeah. you know, easily. 
And so they did the first take and me, and again, remember, I'm kind of like 17 going on 18, playing a 14 year old. And so every, all the other supporting actors were probably about 14, you know, yeah. lined up. We dive in to do this scene. And then I'm about halfway through the kind of length. And they said, cut, wait a minute, stop everyone. Can we reset? And then on the loud kind of bullhorn speaker, <laughs> the assistant director said, could, could everyone slow down because everyone's beating Ricky? <laughs> <laughs> and they're all four years younger than me. <laughs> and they all had to swim slower because I was such a terrible <laughs> swimmer. It was really, it was quite humiliating. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, can, I can only imagine <laughs> what it was to be like. Yeah, as you've said there, you know, he, um, and, and was the, like the school sports star, like, so um, that yeah. was one thing I was going to ask you as well, is, is were you um, into sports or anything like that? But you've clearly already answered that question. Yeah, um, that one's put to bed, definitely. Because Go you on. also had the uh, the barge sip episodes as well, didn't you, where you were, uh, where you were oh, yes. hiding out, uh, whether it was in the toilet or in the spare bed or... Yeah. And I imagine they must have been a ball to film as well. They must have been tremendous. Yeah. Um, just going they were, away. They, but... they were good fun. Yeah, we went to, um, for that one, the barge trip. It was, we did, I think, a week in near Coventry. In these kind, I think we kind of stayed in a halls of residence, if right. I remember rightly. Maybe it was like in where no one was in the university. I'm not sure. But yeah, it was really funny. I mean, you know, just kind of all being... Granger on tour. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, yeah, it was a really funny, funny week. Um, yeah, even if, the, I mean, a lot of people have affection for that, that storyline. I thought it was a little bit kind of cheesy and a bit like a Ray Cooney farce. Yeah. yeah. But, but people liked it and it was quite fun. It was quite, I think, I think with those types of um, episodes where it's a trip, it's, 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 the, it's a lot of the, just the main cast. Um, just away from the school, and I think that's why, as you say, there people do have affection for it. Um, yeah, for that, it, it for, shakes you, things up a bit. Like I, my own personal experiences from working, I work in a school, and on the residential trips, um, you are different. Do you know what I mean? So maybe it's that thing of seeing them in a different environment because you do act that's a really good point in in, yeah. in, in in those things as well. Um, I in think that's a good point. Types of situations you were involved with. Um, Obviously, you've said about the you know the the bullying from a teacher and all that, and and um you you also say it wasn't necessarily a fun character. What I thought about Aunt Jones was Aunt Jones got to talk to the staff the way a lot of kids would have wanted to talk That's to true. the staff, um, but obviously, uh, <laughs> but obviously wouldn't have done, um, because yeah. in those in those days at schools, repercussions would have been uh, immense. Um, if, if children did, and that, that was one thing I always thought about, uh, like like about Aunt Jones, was they did get to speak to the teachers the way that, uh, not necessarily me, but a lot of kids would have wanted to. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those where it's like, I've had enough, I'm not putting up with this, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to take this. A uh, bit like the guy in Network, Howard Bill, it's like, I'm as mad as hell, I'm not going to take this. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah as, as, and I didn't, I, I never really thought about that at the time, but I, I reckon why you know, in a short space of time that I uh -huh. came in, why it made a bit of a kind of dent, if you like, and people kind of, you know, relating to the character. I think you've got it spot on. Um, because everyone, every kid goes through that where a teacher's just given them jip that you want to just stand up and say, no, I'm not going to yeah. come back for an hour. No, you're wrong. Forget yeah. it. No, I'm not going to just leave the class. No. And it's like, 
it's a lot of front for a character and then as as you know what evolved it gets into trouble but yeah that they that, that those kind of storylines i mean i know i mentioned it before but they they're the most fun to do you know and there's yeah. and that storyline kind of evolved into a point where he runs away from home doesn't he i don't know if it's for one night or something but just things like that running away from home having like emotional scenes with the parents kind of yeah bringing him into school just a good chance to try and do some really dramatic stuff you know yeah without sounding all pretentious about it <laughs> it's, it's just kind of that they were enjoyable things to do so, because yeah. i think it, you know i mean I'm, I'm i'm not an actor i've never been an actor but i imagine it's it's a way that when you when you're doing those different kind of scenes you can sort of um perfect the craft without using too much of a cliche is trying to perfect the craft and get better at it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and like I said earlier, when you're doing those kind of scenes, which were generally with uh, parents, uh, Bronson, uh, Baxter, uh, Gwyneth, who played Mrs. McCluskey, you're, you know, you're working with such seasoned, experienced actors that, you know, you just, even if they don't give you bits of advice, you just see how they do it. And you think, Oh, right. That's so that's, that's what you do to kind of get into that kind of zone. And yeah. you just, just learned so much. It was great. So, and the, the other thing, I mean, I nearly, I flirted with going to, um, to drama school. Or nice. I wanted to go when I was about 18. And funny enough, when I did that play I was talking about on Golden Pond, the woman in that who played my grandmother, she was really famous at the time. There was a show called Tenko, which was about uh-huh. Japanese war. And she played the nun, Sister Ulrika, I think her name was. Um, and she she was also on the board of Lambda, I think it was. And she was really encouraging me. She said, you know, you should definitely go to drama school. And she, she wrote this wonderful letter. She said, I'm writing this letter. It's a letter of recommendation that re- should help you when you go to the audition process. And I was planning to audition, but then I then got the understudy job in the West End and then Grange Hill. So never went to it. But I did often think, the great thing about doing three years at drama school is you get to act every day yeah. and try things out. And that's a, that's a luxury that not many actors have because, you know, unless you're in the elite section who work constantly, most actors yeah. spend months, sometimes years when yeah. they don't work. And so the great thing about something like Grange Hill is for eight months of the year, you know, you're acting, you're either acting every day or you're kind of around people doing it. So yeah. you kind of, it's like a schooling, you know, for for acting. So if you kind of like take enough notice of it. Just 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 going back to uh, you know uh, the people you've worked with on Grange Hill and stuff. What was what was the relationship like between the the adult actors and and the and the kids actors? I know you were sort of somewhere sandwiched in the middle, but what was that? I was in no man's land. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? What was that relationship like? I think that's a tricky one for me to. I, I think you you'll definitely get more perspective of what it was like for the kids who were child actors uh-huh. um, because I, like you say I did have this weird thing where because I was the oldest one there and I'd even like passed my driving test so when everyone's right. getting the coaches in from <laughs> yeah. Anna Scherz or Sylvia Young's or Italia Conte in the morning I'd drive past in my little Ford Escort <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> and it'd be like oh. um and I'd kind of spend a lot of time talking to the adult actors when a lot of the kid child actors, to call them that, I know that sounds a bit weird, 
um, were doing like tuition because I had to do tuition right. for yeah. three or four hours during the day. So because I was spending time with the adult actors, almost like this this kind of young teenage actor adult, if you like. Yeah. I was kind of I just was friendly with them and friendly with others. So I was right. definitely in the middle. Um, in all honesty, though, I did see, I could see with some of the teachers, there was almost like a bit of a sniffiness. Right. Um, not looking down on some of them, but not approving of their kind of slightly wild behaviour, because there yeah. was a bit, you know, the, the, the there, was, there was shenanigans that went Yeah. On. I mean, at the end of the day, you've got, what, 30 kids there together. It's not going to be... <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's not going to be like gonna we'll, we'll sit here and wait. Is it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially if yeah. there if there's long periods of time, <laughs> we won't disrupt the corridors of the BBC yeah, at all. No, no I, I can trust imagine us on that. Exactly. Yeah, you you so, were you were involved in running over to the top of the pops or anything like that, were you? Which is what I've no, uh, <laughs> no. I think that might be. I've, I've heard that story. I think that was my, before my time. Right. Uh, when I got there as well, because they, I think they'd filmed somewhere else. Not somewhere else. They filmed on location in another school. Uh-huh, I think yeah. when I got there, it was the first time they'd had the BBC, the uh, kind of office building in Elstree doubling as the school. Right. And it was right next to um, Albert Square. All right. So it just started only about four months before I got there. Right. Um, so, so all the East Ender stuff was quite new. And that was quite exciting. Uh-huh. So when I got there, it's like, Oh, I'm standing next to Pat Butcher in the breakfast <laughs> queue. It's like, this is weird. Wow. Or like Leslie Grantham's like asking us, can I sit here? There's no other tables. Yeah, go on. You can sit there, mate. Um, it's just kind of really weird. Like all the EastEnders, yeah. who were, most of them are lovely as well. A couple of them, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, but yeah, I was definitely, to a long roundabout way of answering that question, I was too squarely in the middle of the actors who were the uh-huh. teachers and the kids to know what the dynamic was. Yeah. And so obviously like the, the big, the biggest thing about Grange Hill that, you know, everyone remembers was obviously just say no. And um, you were, you were right in the, in the middle of the, the record of that. And then obviously um, you were picked to go uh, to the, on the white, on the trip to the white house. Yeah. Uh, what I want to ask is what was, what was the feeling and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. What was the feeling when you were picked to go on that when you weren't necessarily involved in, in the storyline? How did you feel, first of all? I, I, that's a good question because that was a really tricky one because it was a proper mixed emotion feeling. Because um, as when we'd, done, we'd already kind of been through a few weeks where we'd done the record, uh-huh. I was picked to do one of the songs because I was one of the few male actors right. of the younger actors who could sing because I uh-huh. could sing as you'll know if you listen to the record <laughs> um so I kind of you know I, you know they they wanted to kind of feature me you know, with a couple of lines etc because because that was the case um and so then the record really kind of you know did well uh-huh. um and then the talk started about you know there might be this thing where you go we take a few people to the White House, et cetera, for a documentary. And so we kind of, everyone knew that this was coming up and knew, I think we all knew that there might be only nine, which was the number that they took. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of note. And I remember there was one day and it was a day when we were, everyone was in and it was a really weird one. It reminds me of when I hear about, you know, those kind of things for football when you know the the world cup squad or the euro squad is being picked and 
four or five. You, you remember a famous one about Gaza? Yeah. Smashed the place up for the yeah. 98 when he wasn't picked by Glenn Hoddle. And it just reminded me of one of those football, it's like a football analogy because we were all individually being called to the producer's office and you were going in and you could see people coming out either, oh, fucking hell, you know, so yeah. it's, and it was almost like, you know, this kind of, and I kind of had an inkling that I might be asked because I was on the, I was a singer on the record and, uh -huh. I, and I, they talked about how they wanted to do a couple of things where, you know, we, we sing what, you know, or, or mime, whatever it would be. Uh -huh. So I kind of thought, well, I might do, but I did think about the fact that I wasn't involved in any stories relating to that. Uh -huh. So I had an inkling that I might get it, but, but when I got it, it was a mixed feeling because it was like, oh, you know what? I've always wanted to go to America. That's great. And it's exciting. But I just felt so sorry for some of the others. Yeah. Who didn't get a look at, you know, and also because I'd only been there a year and there were other uh, actors who had been there for four years. I remember seeing a couple, I won't name them, but a couple of them were just really honest with their feeling. Came nice. out of the office, literally gutted and not hiding there. And I just felt so upset for them. Uh -huh. So, so it was a, it was a weird mixed feeling. Yeah, because you know um, that was a, not necessarily what I noticed as a child, but certainly as an adult when I looked and, and I've looked back myself and I thought, well, hold on, there was yourself and uh, and and you know the late Joanne Kenny as well yeah. um, got to go as well. And I remember because Joanne was obviously was a lot younger than everyone. It was a lot younger yeah. than everyone else who went yeah. like, and, uh, and again, I think I think they probably picked her because she she was you know quite featured on the record. Yeah, huh? I think it was it was based on that. But yeah, that that became a bit of a thing where it's like, is it fair that because someone featured a bit more on the record, they get yeah. there when someone else was really involved in that storyline uh -huh. in the show? And so yeah, it was one of those. But you know, I did feel I did feel d definitely for the people who who weren't going because it was such. It's like a golden ticket moment. Yeah. Like, oh, we get to do this amazing trip to America. Yeah. Go to well, the White House. I mean, that that was kind of what. Weird. What 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 was it like? Um, that, you know. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, if it happened nowadays, um, huh. what, what I mean by that is, if it happened as an older person, it'd be like even more mad because you really, you know, if you've been around for many decades, it, yeah. you kind of get the kind of the big deal that that is that you're going to sit down with the first lady to talk about something. Yeah. That's kind of a weird thing, but because it was all kind of, we were in this little bubble of, you know, you're on the telly and Grange Hill, it's an iconic show and everything. Oh, oh right. Oh, okay. So we'll go over to America then and we'll do that. It's almost kind of like, without saying, taking it for granted, it was like an extension of this mad surreal yeah. experience yeah. we're all in anyway, but it was really weird. I mean, you know, I kind of, I kind of got how how much of a big deal it was to be doing something like that. Yeah. I was really nervous as well because for the documentary that they did on it, which was following us around and, you know, it's, uh, it was the kind of just say no message. Um, but they, they'd asked all nine of us to ask Nancy Reagan a question about drugs. Oh, right. Okay. And I was just really kind of, and I, even at the time I was thinking, you know, what the fuck do we know about these? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're asking her about... Anyway, so they, I had my question ready, but I was really nervous. Um, and then it was a bit of a lame question, I think. It was um, something like, uh, do you think there's a, a difference between the drug problem in the United States and the drug problem in Britain? And I thought, that's a good one. I can say it, I'll get that out, and she'll kind of do her answer, and I can just nod along like I'm making, you know... Yeah. 
serious documentary. <laughs> um, and um, so I asked her the question, do you think there's a difference? What's the difference? And she just looked at me and she said, well, what do you think? <laughs> and I didn't have an answer ready. <laughs> it, was a, it was a really, it was one of those, it's like, and I was like, interest, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, hard to say. And it was just like this waffly moment. And then I spent six days panicking for the rest of the trip, thinking, oh, God, I hope they don't put that in the documentary. Yeah. <laughs> I just look like biggest fool. Um, so, so that was the kind of, if you like, that was the only stressful thing for me about it, that we had to kind of engage with her. But again, it was brilliant. I was a little bit jealous of Melissa, who when we were asked, you know, when it was all over and we met Nancy Reagan, and then we were getting ready to leave, they were in a rush, kind of. They had some other people come in and say, okay, can we get her? And she said, can I just go to the loo? And we were all a bit like, oh, come on. Why don't you do it when we get back to the hotel? We'll be back at the hotel in five minutes. And she kind of held everyone up. And um, someone said to her as we got back on in the coach on the minibus, I said, why, why couldn't you wait? She said, I didn't even need it. I just wanted to say I'd like <laughs> pissed in the White House. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, I wish I would have done that. <laughs> so... Kind of with that in mind, there's obviously a famous story came out years later um, from Erkin. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, I, I know the one you're going to say. For anyone, for anyone that doesn't know, obviously he he came out with a story that he uh, he'd smoked a joint while he was in the White House. Yeah. Um, is it true? Okay, this is my honest answer. Okay. I don't know. Right. Because because funny enough. When I say funny enough, I was quite an innocent boy at the time. I was I was 18, nearly 19. But I was, you know, I'd never kind of been involved in anything like that. Um, been involved in a lot since. I'm joking. <laughs> no, um, no I, you know, so I was a little bit kind of green, a little bit naive. So if it did go on, no one had offered me, you know, the chance to be involved. Right. Um, because they probably knew that I didn't do that kind of thing, uh -huh. I guess. So maybe. I, I can honestly say I don't know if that's true or not. That's a mystery that remains to me. I mean, but... uh, he has come out and said since that it didn't happen. Um, because he, and he said it one day because he was um, fed up of being asked the same questions about just saying no and about being in the White House and, and stuff like yeah. that. So he just came out and said, yeah, I did it. But again, he's also said that no, he didn't. Um, yeah. Maybe if maybe if I get a, chat, a chance to speak to him, he'll uh, he'll put well, me. Right I, on I it. hope you do one with Erkan because he's he's brilliant for stories as well, and he might be able to clear that up. Oh, brilliant, brilliant! Um, what was the public reaction like to Aunt, to Aunt Jones? They wanted to cancel me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did, did you did you get any sort of negative reaction when you were out and about? No, it was really good actually. It, yeah, it, it wasn't. I mean. The people I feel sorry for are people who like play, like Fleur who plays in Meldorod, yeah. the guy that played Mark who played, is it Mark who played Gripper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember, yeah. Um, who really got a hard time when uh -huh. they play those characters. But because I wasn't playing a character who was particularly, I don't know, offensive in the same way as one of those more bullying characters are, I got a good reaction, yeah. I didn't kind of get any grief from anyone. It was. Yeah. Quite with it. I was talking to someone a little while ago. What really surprised me, and I kind of worked it out in the years since, because I was 18, I'd obviously go to pubs. And I remember after only a month or two of it being on, I went into a pub and it was like that scene in Animal House where they go in and everyone looks like, looks yeah. round. 
And I couldn't believe that all these adults in this pub were recognising me. And I just couldn't work it out. But years later, I kind of figured, just thinking about why that was. I suppose there was only three channels at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if, you know, at 10 past five in the afternoon, that feels a bit weird that loads of adults would be watching it. I kind of worked out that you don't usually have one video recorder in the house. Yeah. And if the children of the house have recorded it and they want to watch it in the evening or at weekends and carry, you know, watch, yeah, keep watching it. That's when adults would be picking up Grange Hill because they'd be seeing it because their kids would probably be playing it again on their VHS tapes. Yeah. So, but that's that just kind of I remember that thinking, how do all adults know me? It doesn't didn't surprise me that kids always recognise me because I I saw that in the first eight months when I was filming before uh-huh. my uh, series uh, was aired. Are you really kind of, you know, when you hang out with, you know, the likes of Lee, Alison, Melissa, Lisa, you, you, you kind of just spend eight months seeing exactly what they're involved in, you know, how yeah. recognised they are. So, yeah. so but, but I, yeah, that was a bit of a culture shock to me to realise that it's not just kids recognising you. I think as well, because obviously you, you've mentioned like the time of day it was on as well. Um, it's ju- it was sort of just before the news you know, um, as well. Yeah. So you had like that. It was that time. That's when, a good point. People like, coming in. Yeah, like, exactly. So maybe catching it. Yeah. Just as they got home from work, maybe as well. Because, I mean, there was what? And yeah. 15 million people watching it. The ratings were ridiculous for Granger at the yeah. time. Like, it was... Uh, really high. Really high. And especially as well with, with, with the Just Say No um, campaign. Because that was that was massive, not just for kids. That was massive in across the country. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So, you know, you, you've had your first year, um, you, you've been to the White House, and then the storyline is that Aunt Jones uh, leaves um, Grange Hill. Did you know yeah. that you were going to be there for a second year, or was that was that a no. bit of a surprise to bring him back? Yeah, it was a surprise because I, I was only kind of booked to do one year because I knew right. the storyline that he leaves at the end of that year. Uh-huh. So I came in knowing it was one year only. Right. And the first inkling I got that they might want to bring me back for another year was from the producer. And I think it was after about, I don't know, maybe half a dozen had gone out uh-huh. and the reaction was good to the Bronson storyline and everything. And I think, yeah, it might've been as early as that, that he came up to me and said, listen, would you be, if we, wrote you back in in some way, would you be interested in doing another year? And I said, well, I've got a few things lined up. You know, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> um, but I said, yeah, fantastic, great. Um, but so that's why, even though the second year when I wasn't really in much because I wasn't in the actual school and I was at a different school, it was always felt like just a bonus year for me because I didn't yeah. expect it. Well, that, that's cool. Funny enough, cool. funny enough, the producer that Ron Smedley, who was our great producer, lovely man, um, he he told me about that at the time. He came to me, and but funny enough, about two or three years ago, there was a 40th um, anniversary thing, which I kind of got chatting to Ron at. I saw him yeah. at that, and he told me that um, he had to really fight for me to be brought oh, back nice. in for another year with the other production staff. Big fight with Phil Redman. Phil Redman didn't want me to do it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I, secrets. <laughs> if you get Phil Redman on, say, yeah. what are you thinking, Phil? <laughs> think you nearly missed out on a massive ratings draw there, didn't he? You know, um, well, you know. 
So the donkey stuff, they would never know. <laughs> so Blimey. So when you came back, obviously you you know you were and Ant was at St. Joe's St. Joe's by then, and obviously there was a lot of the um, a lot of the big things I around that time was the football. Um yeah. What was it like filming the football scenes? Because um, for anyone who watches football, it doesn't always look exactly true to life. Um, yeah. Those games, like, so what, what, what were they like? Well, that that was definitely for me. That was definitely more fun doing those swimming scenes, for example. Right. Because even though I wasn't great, I didn't. I used to enjoy playing football. Um, so it's almost like a boyhood hero thing that you get to score penalty (laughs) in a fictional tv soap um but you know things like that were quite and also i kind of surprised myself because i thought i'm just going to embarrass myself when (laughs) i'm gonna do a like a stuart pierce or something um but uh i kind of really did you know i placed it brilliantly (laughs) i was like so it was like one of those like got it in one celebrate like that celebrated like it was the cup final (laughs) exactly yeah so that so that was all a little bit thrilling in in that way that you know it's like fulfilling kind of some kind of weird fantasy scoring a penalty on TV. Yeah. But, but not, I, you know, and did, you, did he do that through several takes? Is that how it's done, or was it just a case of there you go, lads, go and play football and see what happens? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when there, I mean, when there's something in the script where it's like Ant scores the penalty, uh-huh. so that you know they kind of set up the thing and. And again, like I said, you feel like it's going to be loads of takes, but got it in the first one, <laughs> did another one, got it. I think I missed one. So that's about three or four. But some of the other stuff, if I remember rightly, it is just a little bit of we'll film you playing and then we'll use footage of that. And then yeah. if there's like, they, I think there was a tackle, wasn't there, with George on his character. Uh-huh. Um, things like that, you have to kind of, you know, make sure you kind of hit the right marks. And that, that's a, that was a that was a shocking challenge there as well. By the way. <laughs> you know what? Like, I've watched. I that told you I was crap at football. <laughs> obviously, I've watched that a few times, and and you know, as an adult, you watch it and you think, where does he actually make any contact with him? Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, it was because that was the thing then. Because then that obviously led then to, uh, you know, and trying to get back in and trying to get back with his back in with his mates and that's stuff right. yeah, like yeah. that. Um, and the, I guess, enough. Yeah. Just to mention one other thing about football, one massive regret I've got in my life, I'll quickly tell you, is uh, they used to have, a, probably still do, but they used to have like these kind of celebrity football teams where they do uh-huh. five sides for charity. And so, and I did a couple where you'd have like some of the Enders mob, some of the Brookside mob, you know, and there'd be like a lot of the soap stars and some of the Grange Hill actors would be asked to do them. So I'd done two or three of these. I was really crap. So, you know, I was happy not to get asked too much because I, I thought I embarrassed myself for a couple of them. And then I got this letter. A lot of the younger people won't remember him, but David Frost, who was like a serious kind of journalist, yeah. interviewer, etc., got a letter from David Frost in his kind of, you know, from the desk of David Frost. And it was like, been put onto you by an agent that had used me for some of these celebrity matches. Said, um, really like you to join our celebrity team for the game that's going to go on at one o'clock at Wembley before the cup final, the FA cup final. And I really struggled with it because I was thinking, and in those days, I do remember they used to always film live or air live those Uh celebrity matches before the cup final. And I just thought, I'm so awful at football. I'm going to (laughs) really, really embarrass myself. It's going to just be a disaster. 
and I and I kept thinking it'd be like I'll do something so horrendously embarrassing and it'll be like something on Dennis Norden's it'll be all right on the night show <laughs> going, where and I was just thinking oh god it's gonna be like so I decided not to go for it oh, and uh, he was playing funny enough the other team was Jimmy Tarbuck's team one of your people right. <laughs> um and but I've always regretted it I you know I should have done I should have gone for it and then maybe run around a bit and then did the old <laughs> in the ankle you have to get off at least then I'd have run around Wembley for a five minutes because because that was when yeah. as well that was in the days of the cup final being on all day yeah it? like it, it would morning, be on like. nine in the morning till, till after the game like so they yeah. used to fill it with all stuff like that and all it that used to be it. so exciting that didn't it that's a, uh, that, that, that is a yeah. shocking that, that's a shocking decision you've made there Ricky, it I've, is I've got it's, to say. honestly it's the I don't have many regrets in life because I believe that whatever way you mess up it will get you somewhere else but there's just no excuse for not playing at Wembley before an FA Cup final <laughs> you know I will never have that chance again like I did screw up so there you go. can I can I just take you back and um, this is the this is the last thing I'll, I'll mention on this part just going back to the just say no record um, obviously, you know, you sang on the track, but then you also had a solo number on that album as well. For anyone, I thought, I thought, I thought you want, I thought you won't want to go into the scandal. Uh, uh, I thought you uh, steer uh, away from like the, the dirt. <laughs> anyone, anyone who doesn't know that that's listening, um, you obviously there was a, a cover of um, "I Don't Like Mondays" um, from the Boon Sound Rats. W- was that to do with? And Jones's character, or was that just did they just say to you, "We want you to do this," or do you want to sing? Is there anything that you want to sing on that? Like, yeah. So, so just say no. It'd been a massive hit. Right. Um, that it got to like number five in the charts or something. Um, so then at the BBC, they said, "Right, we'll do an album." And I was kind of trying to kind of you know gather momentum to tell everyone, "No, we no, yeah. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. <laughs> it's embarrassing. You know, why would we want to do that?" And then I remember a couple of people at the BBC saying to me, you know what, if you don't go along with things like this, you could get a terrible reputation and you uh-huh. might never work for the BBC again, which was ridiculous. You know, the idea yeah. that <laughs> you don't do a couple of covers on the Grange album, you never work. But at the time I thought, oh, you know, I can't rock the boat. I have to go along with it. Uh-huh. And I always thought it was a terrible idea. And I think kind of like the Just Say No record, the reason they asked me to do one of the solos is because they just didn't have many of the male characters who uh-huh. could sing at all. And I could, you know, just about kind of get something, deliver a tune. Um, so then, yeah, I, it's a good question. I don't think it was related at all. I don't think they picked that for me because of anything to do with the character. Maybe they did. I'm not sure. They might have thought about it, but uh-huh. it just seemed that they, you know, they picked a load of songs, some en- ensemble ones like That's What Friends Are For, and don't stop, you know, the uh, Fleetwood Mac song uh-huh. where they'd have four or five, six of us singing, but a couple of them where it was like just solo numbers. And um, it, yeah, it was just such a, it was just, it's felt to me like a real miscue, like just because you'd had this charity song, uh-huh. you know, you do. And I get the fact that it might have been of interest, but it was just really awful. And that. <laughs> 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 and, uh, Nancy, Nancy Reagan got a copy of it as well, didn't she? Um, she did. That's she, the thing. And I'm, by the way, by the way, I'm probably a little bit pissed off because I remember it's only just come back to me now. I remember when they were kind of like talking about all these kind of. I said, you know, because I was really into music. I'd been into music for a few years uh-huh. um, and songwriting. And I said, "Can I play you a couple of my songs?" They said, "No, we don't think so." Oh no way! 
But then again, I'm pleased in a retrospect that I didn't have one of my songs on that album. <laughs> that would have been that would have been a bit weird. Um, so then the, the two years are up then, and what? Thirty-one episodes later, um, it's it's, it's, ta- it's wow. ta- ta- time for a. <laughs> Time for you to leave, Grange Hill. Um, Time to hang up the mullet. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, the, and, and the pouting lips. That's a, that's a goal as well. Um, so was that it then? Was that the natural sort of end then? Because I know obviously some children do stay on later, but obviously with it being, you being at St. Joe's by then, yeah. I think, was that the natural? Definitely, yeah. I, I think even when, when they kind of approached me and said, you know, would you be interested during another year? I think every conversation was basically, it'll literally just be, you know, in and out. He's, you know, most of the time he's going to be at the gates. They described the story that he's kind of falling out with some of his former friends. He'll end up splitting up with Georgina, who is his real link to the school. Uh And it'll just slowly dawn on him that this is not his life anymore, any of these people. So, So it was always really clear, this is literally just going to be one more serious. Two years are up, you leave Grange Hill. Um, what do you do now? Betty Ford Clinic. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, what did I do? So basically, I'd had this kind of twin track where I was still... I did a couple of little acting jobs, but I was really into music by then. So, so I did spend probably about a year, 18 months after I'd left Grange Hill doing few little bit parts, nothing too significant, but then I, ma- I did end up making the decision. By, by that point, I was in a band, which was my brother's band I joined, um, and we were really taking the band seriously, rehearsing five days a week, writing five days a week. And I kind of just looked at what I was doing, and I thought, I don't want to be kind of going into town for auditions all the time. And, you know, I, I yeah. felt like I needed to commit to one or the other. There's loads of people who can juggle both kind of um, paths, but I, I just didn't feel I was doing either of them justice and I wanted to choose. And I, yeah. I, I, I've always loved acting, but I preferred music. So if it's a choice, music kind of wins out, even though I had a lot of affection for the time I acted. Uh-huh. So that's okay. kind of where I ended up, yeah. So that, yeah, so then was it, was the Space Brothers sort of straight away? Or was that, that, that was a bit later. Um, right. Just to kind of, you know, just give you how it kind of came about. So I joined this band, which was my brother's band called Protocol, uh-huh. which I think was in my second year of Grange Hill. So I was doing that sim- at the same time. We went through over about two or three years, we went through loads of different, we did get a record deal when I was 19, oh, really? put out one record, which was so awful that it flopped. That's a shocker. <laughs> um, no, it was, yeah, it wasn't a great song. But then we, yeah, we went through kind of, few lineup changes where different people would be joining. Um, what genre sort of, changes as well. What, yeah, what sort, yeah, what sort of genre were, 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 you, were you doing at, at the time? So, so it went, we went through a few different things. So the first record we put out was produced by a guy who, they, what were they called? There was a song called For America. Um, for the very, very Red, young Red and the Box. very, very old. Red, Red Box, Box, thank you. Thank you, yeah. So their producer produced this track and it's probably his production more than anything that made it sound a bit like Redbox. So huh. we were kind of a bit of a poppy type of thing with a bit of a rock kind of undertone. But so that's where we were then. And over a two or three year period where we were doing this band, it kind of went through different 
stages there were one stage we were really heavy rock right um then we kind of softened it a bit so it was a bit more like led zeppelin than heavy metal uh-huh. um but then we went through another phase and we probably landed up when it came to the end of its time in the band as we were kind of like pink floyd that right. or that's what was in our heads we were probably more like keith floyd, pink <laughs> floyd. but um was it all, was yeah. it all covers or, or your own Stuff no, no, all our own stuff that we were right. writing. And to give context to that, so we were really trying to kind of crack it with this band. Really hard to get anything going in the UK. So my brother and our guitarist thought that, that you know, we might be able to get a deal, whether it's a publishing deal or record deal in America. And they decided to go over to New York, uh-huh. spend some time there and see whether they could kind of get, get us a deal over there. And that summer was 1991 and so while they were there for about six months me and the keyboard player Steve we really got into dance music in a big way well the kind of band had this almost like a hiatus where we're waiting for the next stage and the more and more we got into dance music the realized we realized we kind of really wanted to make music in that realm the band kind of literally fell apart gradually um Uh itself where things weren't happening so we kind of all were all looking to different directions and then me and Steve started working on kind of dance and rock crossover bands, did a couple of bands. Um, and then the Space Brothers came from just us kind of concentrating on a more kind of club music, kind of trance, progressive um, in that kind of genre. And we had different things like Chakra, Lustral, Ascension, different projects we'd signed yeah. to different record companies. But the one that we're kind of most known for in that scene is, is we're known as the Space Brothers. And so then 1997 comes around and, and the Space Brothers released Shine, which went to number one on the UK dance chart. Now that that yeah. must have been quite an amazing thing. To, yeah, to it was brilliant. Like. It, yeah, it was, it was really exciting because we, you know, because you, you can work at something for a long time uh-huh. um, and you never know if things are going to connect. Um, but suddenly, not only kind of have a record deal, which was really important, um, at that time, still is to a certain extent, but people can do things without being signed to majors now. Um, but it was really important. So getting that signed to Mercury Records, that was one thing. And then for it, for it to work and have, you know, DJ support, you know, all top DJs kind of yeah. just getting behind it. And then a number one club. And then it kind of converted to the mainstream top 40 as well. Yeah. And it went into the top. We had a top 30 with that, I think it was. So, yeah, it was that was... It was, yeah, it was a really gratifying time that kind of, you know, that, that kind I, I of music suppo- worked I, I, I suppose then as well, not taking away anything from anyone who's, who's doing music today, but it it seemed to be, it was a lot harder to get sort of, you know, number ones and, and get, because it was 23 on the UK chart is, is the, the information I've got. Like, so that must have yeah. just been amazing, as I say, for, for it to work. It really was. Yeah, it really was. And we, it, we ended up having a bit of a run as well, because we had about six or seven different projects signed to different major record companies at the same time. We did it all on a non-exclusive deal each time. Uh And and we did that because we were going through a really prolific stage where we were writing so much that we didn't want to release one record with company where we'd have to wait six months, maybe even eight months to the next release because things worked a lot slower in terms of building up a record, club promotion, et cetera. It wasn't released as instantly as now. Um, So we did that as a means to an end just so that we could release more records more quickly. Yeah. But we end up in this kind of weird situation where we had so many records sent to different 
record companies and a lot of them were doing really well as well you know we were kind of having loads of yeah. chart toppers in the club charts and quite a few were going into the top 40 and top 30 at a couple of top 20s as well so again after you know many years of kind of you know being in bands and kind of you know knocking at the door it's uh-huh. great to finally see see the results of it brilliant so what's ricky simmons doing these days then well, I'm going to Arsenal later to watch them get battered by Chelsea. That's exciting. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so basically still involved in dance, but still with Space Brothers. We, we do a lot of gigs. Um, obviously, haven't done many during the last 18 months yeah. because of where we are in the world. Um, funny enough, next year, 2022, um, we do a lot of work with a record company called Armada who release a lot of our stuff. Nice. And there's going to be a kind of a special 25th anniversary thing where we're having a lot of the stuff we've done remixed uh-huh. um, by different current artists. And also we've got a new album, which sounds old fashioned nowadays because people don't make albums anymore. Yeah. But we've got about a dozen songs that will kind of make up an album that we're going to release next year as well. So right. that's pretty busy. But I've got this weird other, um, when I say weird, that's probably putting it down a little bit this weird other detour that I'd taken where with Simon Vaughan, who played um, Freddie Mannering, who I mentioned yeah. earlier, about two or three years ago, um, we kind of formed a company um, to start developing British musicals. Because right. um, we dabbled some years ago, when we first you know, shared a flat all those years ago, we were dabbling with ideas to kind of put together a musical. Um, never came to much, but then you know, just recently, in recent years, we thought, let's have a crack at, right, you know, trying to finish off a couple of these musicals we once kind yeah. of came up with as ideas and developing a few more. So so I'm quite heavily involved working on musicals. The, the roster with varying stages of development. But the first one, if I'm going to do a plug, I'd say the first one, which will probably be out and staged sometime in 2022, is about the Italian Prime Minister, Silvio Berlusconi, who, <laughs> who's kind of like uh, the forerunner of the current Trump, Johnson, Hungarian, Brazilian <laughs> leaders that we've come to know as these kind of really far-right celebrity leaders, if you like, yeah. who, who are slightly divorced from truth. I, I can imagine there's, there's quite a, there, there might be quite a bit to, <laughs> to put yeah, into a exactly. musical uh, like. But but the funny thing is when you when you look at characters like Trump or Johnson or these other ones I mentioned, if you look at the Silvio Berlusconi story where that started for him in politics, you know, over two decades ago, uh-huh. it's almost like everyone you see nowadays, all these leaders, they kind of said, right, that's the playbook, right? I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that, <laughs> and you know. Just it's almost like he wrote the kind of blueprint for for the future <laughs> leaders of the 21st century. So it's kind of yeah. So it's a it's kind of like a Vita on acid. That's how I describe right, it. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna put um, that on the posters. I re- maybe I'll use that actually. Yeah, probably kind of never get a punter in the theater, <laughs> but you got to go with your heart. So yeah, so that's kind of an interesting thing. So I've got this kind of schizophrenic thing where sometimes dance music, sometimes you know, musicals, which is kind uh, of a weird thing. Good, good to have fingers in a few pies sometimes. Absolutely, like, so. yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's cool. Um, so, okay, then, just uh, just before we finish off, just a couple more questions going back to Grangeill. Um, yeah. 
other than Aunt Jones, um, who was your favourite character on Grange Hill? That, I've got to say, that's an easy one because I, I was a fan of it from the word go when it started. Right. In 1978, I think it was. And that first year group, uh, Tucker was the hero. He, yeah. I thought he was just such a sensational character. I really related to him as not necessarily to him, but I related to that year group quite well because I started secondary school at my comprehensive in 1978. Right. It, it was almost like within a month or two of that going out on the air, I'd just uh-huh. started. So watching that year group grow up through five years of school, yeah. I was kind of, you know, I was in a school at the same time. So uh-huh. apart from, you know, just the obvious being this kind of brilliant TV show that every kid in Britain loved, I kind of felt a special kind of, you know, resonance as well. So, and of all characters, I, I think he's been, he was one of the best, the originals. Yeah. still quite unbeatable. He was such a great character. I think as well, you know, that, that was the whole thing with Grangeville, uh, which Phil Redmond wanted to get over, was the fact that not every school in Britain was like what people saw on the television at the time, which was all uh, just William and, you know, Jolly Hockey yeah. and all that type of stuff. Yeah. We suddenly had characters and kids that we recognised as yeah. opposed to those kind of ones you just mentioned. Completely. Yeah. Right. If if you had been offered the chance to play another character, would it have been Tucker Jenkins? Um, <laughs> is that that's so hard because I would have been far too young to play it. I would have been like <laughs> seven at the time or something. Well, no, I would have been eleven. <laughs> yeah, actually, no. Maybe you're right. Maybe I would have been the right age. Um, yeah, if I was being offered any kind of pupil part. Yeah. Maybe it would have been Tucker because that would have been just such a great role to play. Yeah. But I'd say if you're asking me what role I'd play, and, and if you'd like to have played any which any other character, which character yeah. would you have liked to have played? I think put it this way to make it kind of more logically plausible. Yeah. Let's let's pretend they're doing a remake of Grange Hill okay. in years to come. <laughs> so so it's plausible that if I had the chance, I would I could play a character like Bronson. Oh, right. Brilliant. I, I'd love to play. Yeah. If I was going to play any character, it'd be like that stern, you know, affected, <laughs> you know, really pent up anger inside of, uh-huh. you know, that British stiff upper lip monster. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So if I was going to play anything, I think that would be fun to play. But if it was a pupil, probably Tucker, yeah. Brilliant. I'd brilliant. And then my last question is why do you think then Grange Hill is sort of held this affection with people for for so long and you know what why why are people like me still talking about it that's it's a good question and um i i think i mean it's probably going to be quite a predictable answer but i think there's two things nostalgia is an amazing thing so when you kind of grow up with something it's kind of like you know anything in your childhood it'd be like if you're watching tv presenters from your childhood Mm -hmm. there's always going to be a lot of affection for them even though you might suddenly find when you're in your 40s or 50s, why would I care about John Craven? But somehow <laughs> I love the man. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of, so there's a nostalgic element that kind of takes you back. But I do think with Grange Hill, um, I can say this because I was such a fan of the show before I joined um, and I had like almost like an objective view of it. I just thought it was the most brilliant show for kids. And there's probably a big part of that where three channels, no satellite TV, no internet kind of distraction. Kids really didn't have much else to watch. But yeah. then again, in saying that, 
it still had to be a good show for people to have affection for it, you know, because there was enough crap shows on as well that <laughs> people would have forgotten about. So I think it's I think it's about that. But I do think, you know, to credit Phil Redmond, you you touched on that he was sick of seeing schools reflected that weren't realistic. Yeah. And I think he created something, a moment in time, where that's exactly what people wanted. Funny enough, I'm I'm working with a, a writer, a guy called Roy Williams, who when me and Simon first started working with him and we got to talking about what we'd done before. He mentioned that as a black writer um, or as a black person growing up in Britain in, in the 70s, uh-huh. Benny Green meant so much to him because right. he'd, never seen, he'd never seen a black face as a young, you know, younger character yeah. on TV. And it was really touching because um, when he, you know, he was talking about the fact that one of his plays he did at Hampstead Theatre, he did a dedication to Terry Soupat. Uh-huh. You know, after he'd passed um and i think i know that's a slightly different thing but i think in some ways whether it was through race through class through just seeing the kind of topics that kids go through at the age of 11 upwards whatever the thing was that you kind of related to it almost felt like it was the first time it was being done with a yeah. chill so you know without being too pretentious and arsy about it i do think it was groundbreaking at yeah. the time when Phil Redmond first came up with that in the late seventies, so I I kind of think maybe that's the reason. Brilliant, yeah, brilliant. Right, Ricky, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for being the uh, me guinea pig, if you like, on the first episode. And uh... I'm the pioneer. I'm breaking <laughs> ground. Now, listen. Also, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, and it's it's great to talk about this before I lose my memory completely and I forget. <laughs> So you give me the opportunity to get it all out before. Oh, it's it's uh, completely it's, forget. It's been it's it's been really really good and really really interesting as well. So thank you very much. So for the for those of you that are listening, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll speak to you next time.